Listen, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew today in the New Testament. Let's go to a passage of Scripture, um, and we're going to be in a passage of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, where inside of that we're going to find what's called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes um, would, blessed, or are, are, are blessed, uh, is a Greek word called makarios, which uh, is reflected in sort of the thoughts of uh, fortunate or happy happiness is. And we've been in a series called Happiness Is. We started last week. If you missed it, I'm so sorry that you missed that. You can go back online and pick that up so that you can sort of catch up. But we're not going to do that today. Brian's already let you know a little bit. Last week we asked the question, what is, what is happiness? And uh, we learned last week that, that no thing makes us happy. We learned last week that happiness is more about a who than a what. And some of you this week has prove, proven that. Uh, because there's probably something that you've added to your schedule, you've taken away from your schedule, not based on the event, but based on who was going to be there, right? I know we had that same discussion in our car this week. Well, who's going to be there, Daddy? You know? And so, but we've learned that it's more about a who. Happiness is more about a who than a what. And at the center of it all is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That peace with God paves the way for us to be at peace with ourselves as well as equips us to be at peace with others. So turn to the person on your left and on your right and say, I so much desire to be at peace with you. (laughs) Now for the husbands and wives that are in conflict today. We've solved your problems solved your problems. You know, when we get done today, this is, this is what I want to say to you. When we're done here today, this is what you're going to have to choose to do. You're either going to embrace it or you're going to reject it. This isn't my words. These are the words of Jesus. They're pretty doggone important, don't you think? So at the end of this, you're going to have to say, okay, I want to listen. I want to absorb. I want to take this in. I want to apply this to my life. Or either you're going to walk out and say, eh, It's not working, (laughs) and you're going to reject it. That's a decision that you have to make. But I do want to read to you what God's Word has to say. And and I want to say this to you. I want you to, to think about those to whom Jesus would have been speaking at that time. Matthew would have written this. This would have been written some 30 years after Jesus' his death, his burial, his crucifixion, his resurrection. Um. So this was written probably 30 years later, and um, I want you to remember who Matthew was. Matthew was a what? He was a tax collector, so he knew what it was like to be forgiven of his sins and walk with Jesus. He knew what it was like to face persecution. And so, but here's Jesus coming into an arena of life where they were expecting the Messiah to come and to to build an earthly kingdom, but Jesus wasn't about building that earthly kingdom. He was about something that was much more than that. And a lot of the principles of our worldly kingdom don't match up with the heavenly kingdom. And so some of the things that Jesus is going to tell those that were listening that day are, are sort of countercultural to what they were used to and what they may have wanted to hear. But he speaks it to them and he speaks it in truth. And the same things that Jesus will speak to them that we will read today are the same things that are applicable for us today in our world. So I'm really excited to read some of this to you. 
I'm going to try to cram all of this into one. Can I do that? It's going to be hard. So I'm going to skip probably a lot of stuff. But I do want to get the eight things that Jesus mentioned. And then I want to finish it up with what Jesus had to say at the end of his Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7. But will you read with me today as we start there in Matthew chapter 7 in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 5. And we're going to start out at Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. And this is what the scripture reads. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the mountainside and sat down and his disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. This is what he said in verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is there. So imagine Jesus in this surrounding of a mountainside, speaking to the disciples and those that were gathered, and he begins to teach them. And first of all, he says to them, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, what's one of the biggest myths in relationship to money is that the more money you have, the happier you have. How many of you think that? See, you're scared to raise your hand, aren't you? You may not say that you believe that, but how many of us think that? And Jesus right up front says, let me tell you who the real happy people are. He says, those that are poor in spirit, regardless of meaning, regardless of how much you have or how much you don't have, those that are completely dependent on God every single minute of every single day. And that attitude goes against the culture of, I can do it and I don't need anyone. But when we're poor in spirit, there's a sense of humility that says, God, regardless of the situation that I'm involved in, regardless of how much money's in my back pocket, regardless of how much money's in the bank, regardless of how much I do not have, I am completely dependent on you. Poor in spirit, it's not a determination of how much we have or how much we don't have, but it's an attitude. It's an attitude that regardless of how much that we've been blessed with, we are blessed. And this is what Jesus knew, that any time in life something takes the place of him, something takes the place of our Heavenly Father, it leads us to a place of unhappiness. I mean, when you think about your life and you think about happiness, there's probably some things that stand above your relationship with Jesus, isn't there? It would seem like we would pursue the one that would bring us happiness, but that's not the way it is. How many times do we say we're dependent on God, but yet we're really not dependent on him? It's easy to speak with our mouth, I love Jesus. It's another thing to act those out, isn't it? especially in the tough times. And Jesus said, this is what I want you to know, with or without, happiness is those that have humbled themselves and that have a relationship with our Father and that remembers that our confidence isn't in our stuff, but it's in Him and Him alone. I love what James, the brother of Jesus, says it, and he says it this way, so humble yourselves before the Lord and resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you're sinners. When's the last time, and I know we went through this the other day, when's the last time that you've reminded yourself of your sin? I mean, in, in circles of Christianity, we have our, our do's and our don'ts, don't we? When's the last time that you've recognized the fact and said to yourself, I'm a sinner and I'm in need? We don't like doing that. And James says, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and this world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Who's in the driver's seat of your life? Who, it, who is it that sits behind the steering wheel and driving and Jesus says up front listen if you desire happiness happy people are those who are poor in spirit because at the end of the day they recognize who's large and in charge look at the second one God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted you, you might want to circle that will be comforted and the person that mourns or laments is a person that cares it is connected to people. Some of you are mourning and are, are sad now because of things going on in the lives of people. You're hurting. It's those who recognize that there are difficult and unfair things that are happening in and all around us, and yet they walk in those times of sorrow and difficulty and death knowing that it is a part of life. If you're not walking through a time of difficulty, if you're not walking through a time of of, of stress or struggle, listen, it will enter your world. Expect it. Expect it. But blessed are those that mourn because. Blessed are those that care. Blessed are those that are involved. You know, when's the last time that you've ached over someone that you know that is spiritually dead, not just physically dead? Uh-oh. When's the last time you've walked by someone and you knew that they didn't have a relationship with Jesus and they were headed to a place called hell as a result of that? When's the last time that you've spiritually mourned and ached over them as you would somebody who was physically dying? How many of us don't want to deal or think about death? How many of us just want to pay our respects, make an appearance, but it's like Jesus is saying, if this is your attitude, you'll never be happy. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never be filled. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians in reference to comfort and troubles, that God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God is, has given us. The fear of difficulty and death can rob us of the joy of life, can it? Very much so. But Jesus says happiness are in those happinesses in those moments when we're facing the intense difficulties or struggles, yet we stay in and we embrace it and we endure it till the end because our hope is secure. I love what the psalmist says, but in my distress I cried out to the Lord, yes, I prayed to my God for help, and he heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. And then we read in the in the book of Revelation where John himself wrote and he and he described what it was like, he said, 
um, that he will wipe away every tear from my eyes and there will be no more death and no more mourning or no more crying or pain. That in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, that in the midst of those times that are mourning, that we don't have to lose hope. We don't have to. Because we know who's in control. And happiness is being in that place. What about this? Verse 5, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Blessed are the humble. You know, if you've got a daughter, how many of us have daughters here? That's humbleness. Humility is probably not on the list of characteristics that you would like, uh, that, you're, that you're voting and for and praying for and um, in reference to the man that you want to marry your daughter, right? I mean, when you're thinking about characteristics of a guy to marry your daughter, you know, what are some characteristics you want that person to have? You want him to have a job? Dear Jesus, please let him have a job. Please let him be responsible. Please let him make sure he pays his bills. Let him be a man of integrity. You know, let him love Jesus. But humble, I mean, when's the last time you've prayed for humility to be on that list? Because in our world's perspective, we don't necessarily see humility as being a strength. We see it as a weakness. But Jesus defined humility as power up underneath control. A spirit of gentleness. But the humble person recognizes that God is up to something. And I'm not the center of that something. But I know that God is up to something and he is at the center. And I have the opportunity to be part of it. He's willing to do what John the Baptist did when John the Baptist was asked, Are you the Messiah? And if you remember what he said, he says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him, for he must become greater and I must become less. And humility isn't that, it isn't a weakness, but it's simply an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement that inside the broader context of God's creation, that he's up to something. And I'm not the center of it, but he is. And look at what he says in verse 6. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. They always say, don't ever go to the grocery store when you're... Don't ever drive by Taco Bell or... Chick-fil-A or crystals. Don't you like crystal hamburgers? When you're hungry. You do some crazy things when we're hungry, don't we? Instead of having six, we have eight crystal hamburgers, right? <laughs> or ten. In college, it was twelve. Not these days. When's the last time you've, you've hunger and you've thirsted for righteousness? When's the last time you've woke up in the morning and the first thing you wanted to do was talk to your daddy? Happiness is a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not necessarily what's right, 
but a hunger and thirst for righteousness. What he's saying is that happy are those with no guilt, no regret, and a clear conscience. Happiness is being willing to do the right thing even when it may not be popular and even when it will cost you. I've shared the story with you. I'll share it with you again. A friend of mine years and years ago um, in the construction business, one of his, one of his main guys had a, had a massive heart attack. They got to the hospital. They had pulled his wife aside and... Uh, and they said, I, we just want you to know that we don't understand, but your husband has no insurance. And uh, by that time, the boss had, had arrived, and she, she gasped, you know, what do you mean he doesn't have insurance? My husband works for so-and-so and so-and-so, and he's got insurance. I mean, it's part of his package. Matter of fact, we've got great health insurance. And she said, Wayne, what's the deal? She said, you, we've, we've got this insurance. What's the problem? And he says, I have no clue. He said, we pay for insurance all the time. I don't know what, he, what they're talking about. Come to find out, the secretary and everything that had been going on hadn't paid the bill. Life insurance had expired. What do you do as a businessman? Oh, I'm sorry. You know what he said? Honey, it doesn't matter if he's got insurance or not. I told you he's covered. He's covered. About a $50,000 check he had to write. That's back then. Secretary came in and she was mortified. She resigned. He said, why in the world are you resigning? She said, it's cost me $50,000 to train you. Not now. <laughs> he said, I know you'll never make that mistake again. Even when it hurts, Jesus says at the end of the day, those who hunger and thirst for justice, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, those that are leaning in and saying, God, what is right? At the end of the day, those are the ones that will experience happiness. Jesus said, listen, I know it isn't popular, but happy are those who hunger and thirst for justice because in the long run, they will be filled. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. He said, once I thought these things in reference to his own life, I thought my bloodline, I thought my position, I thought my religious background was enough. But he said, I learned and I now know that it's wrong. It's wrong. Those things that I thought that were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And yes, everything else is worthless when I compare it to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything, counting it all garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness or my own right doings through obeying the law, but rather I become righteousness through what? Faith. You don't work your way into heaven. Our righteousness comes through faith. Our entrance into heaven is not through works, for by grace are we saved through faith not of works. I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And then he says in verse 7, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. In other words, what he's saying, those that are generous in their relationships, those that are generous relationally, those that create space and give people exactly what they don't deserve. Those that demonstrate mercy 
Happy are those who forgive. Happy are those who don't seek to to uh, seek revenge. Happiness is making allowances for one another. Happiness is not holding a grudge. Happiness is not wasting time thinking how we will repay evil with evil. How much time do we waste because we're worried about how we're going to get somebody back for what they've done for us, done to us. But I know you've never done that. But he says, happy is that person who is willing to demonstrate mercy, for they will be shown mercy. Have you ever seen a happy person that, that's holding a grudge? Usually their attitude is what? Bitterness and anger. So unsettled, can't even sit. I mean, can't even sit for a while because they're just so anxious. What about those that are mistreated or wronged, or the, but the happier those that have gotten the courage to forgive and to let go and to bless instead of curse in reference to those that have hurt them? People that are willing to live that way are happy. They learn over time there's a benefit to being generous in our relationships and being merciful. And that's hard, especially when it just don't make sense. When we decide to extend grace to others and mercy to others that don't deserve it, it's that business partner that's taking advantage of you. It's that spouse that's one off. It's that family member or that neighbor or that child. But when you're relationally generous... Man, it makes a difference. What about when you're relationally generous and there's not even an apology for what they've done? Even though it's not right, it's God's. Even when the other person doesn't own up to the the wrong that they committed. The person that's happy is the one that says, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to demonstrate mercy. Paul would have said it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul said, imitate God, therefore, in everything that we do, because we are his children. If you're a believer, would you say today, I'm his child? I'm his child. I represent him. I'm part of his, his family. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And then in the middle of all of this, it's like there's a pause and then there's a, the opportunity to say, listen, do you really want to see clearly? Do you, do you really want to be able to see clearly the things that are before you? Do, do you want to be able to see with a different set of eyes? And look at what he says in verse 8. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now, purity is not really a word we run around using all the time. We'll see ivory soak 99.9% pure, but that's not pure, is it? I mean, we'll talk about purity in reference to water. Um, We talk about Nicaragua and and bringing water and clean water to Nicaragua. But we don't really talk about purity because purity isn't one of those things that's really that important within our culture. When's the last time that you've just sat down and contemplated purity? And Jesus says, listen, if, if, if you want to see me, what about the attitude and the lifestyle of purity? If you're wondering what to do, the answer is purity, morally, ethically, sexually. If you want clarity in life, if you want to know what the next step is, stay away from sin because purity leads to clarity. God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see 
God. See, that, that first step of desiring to trust and follow Jesus, that's only the beginning. Then we go from being in that position of saying, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be more Christ-like to growing up in our faith and to becoming Christ-like in everything that we do. But it's about being Christ-like, not about being church-like. Does that make any sense? It's about being Christ-like, not being church-like. The understanding that, listen, I want to be a reflection of my Father. And that maturation process, that maturity isn't, isn't finished until we stand before him face-to-face. And at that time, we recognize exactly what John says in 1 John 3, 3. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just because he, because he himself is pure. Free from sin. But, I, you know, it's really hard because in the world in which we live, we're pulled from so many perspectives. And when's the last time you've looked at somebody else's life and it was maybe outside of Christ and there was a little bit of a temp- temptation of saying, man, I, I wish that, that I was more, a little bit more like that. Or maybe I had a little bit more like that. And you were tempted to maybe move away and there was this, there was this movement that was going on inside of your heart. Because of your faith, you'd made some stands about certain issues and you chose to abstain from certain activities. And you guys, you know it, man. You see it on Facebook all the time. And sometimes your heart goes, I'm missing out. And you know what Jesus says? No, no, you're not missing out. You're not missing out at all. Purify and renew your mind. Consider the word of God and the heart of Jesus. And you'll become to realize that, man, you aren't missing out at all. But when we seek to follow God and we seek to to put him first and there's a purity in our heart at the end, what Jesus is saying, listen, there's happiness and there's contentment. And then look at what he says in verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace. And you got to remember this in the context of what he's teaching because these things are going against the flow of, of the lifestyle that most of these thought that Jesus was offering. And Jesus is saying, no, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Are you a peacemaker or a troublemaker? If I were to ask people around you, how would they define you as a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Let's go ahead and offer some names right now. <laughs> that could be really dangerous in some, in some environments, couldn't it? I mean, listen, who are you? Are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? Our Heavenly Father desires to make peace and be at peace with us. And when we make peace with others, we're imitating our daddy. How many troublemakers do you know that are happy? Why do you think they make trouble? But what Jesus says is happiness isn't found in the troublemaking, but in the peacemaking. Happy are the reconcilers. Happy are those who are willing to walk into a relationship that is being stretched, that is, that is struggling, that is being maybe broken or strained, and willing to make peace. That is happiness. And Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, do all that we can to live at peace with everyone. Happiness is, is, is this. It's the person willing to walk the extra mile to reconcile. That's happiness. The person that's willing to go the extra mile to reconcile a relationship that's broken or strained. Happiness is the person that recognizes that the win isn't always about being right. The win is about recognizing that the win is about being God's. Uh Uh-oh. 
Why is there quarrels among you? Is it not because of our own selfish desires? That's what James said. In the midst of a conflict, really, what are you fighting for? In the midst of the difficulty, what is it that you're, that you're fighting for? And then he says this in verse 10. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Persecution, happiness, they just don't seem to go together in the same sentence, do they? I mean, what do you mean persecuted? That I can be happy in the midst of persecution. You know, when I'm being persecuted, if I'm persecuted for losing my job, for doing the right thing, you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to be happy for that? But don't you think that maybe Jesus is trying to say something a little bit broader? Blessed are those that suffer for doing what is right. You're going to go through difficulty regardless if you're doing, if you're, if, for doing what is right and for doing what's wrong. You're going to go through persecution. You're going to be persecuted for doing what's right as well as doing what's wrong. And believe it or not, there's only happiness on one side of that equation. For doing what's right because at the end of the day you have the ability to lay your head down at night and find peace and rest because you're at peace with God and you're at peace with yourself but if we end up experiencing persecution for doing the wrong thing (laughs) we're not at peace with ourselves and we're not at peace with God and Jesus is trying to get us to recognize Ted something a lot bigger here to look in our lives and recognize that there are going to be times when we're mistreated, that we're treated wrongly, and there are going to be times when people speak things about us that aren't true. There are going to be times that we're falsely accused, and there are going to be times that we're intentionally hurt. So do you want to be treated wrongly for doing the right thing or mistreated for doing the wrong thing? And Jesus says, happy are those who choose to pursue righteousness even when it comes at a cost. The blessing isn't in the lack of persecution. You will face difficulty in this life. But Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy. He said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what's right. How many of us, for fear of being persecuted, don't do what's right? In the middle of all of this, there's a common thread. There's a common thread that seems to run through all of these blessings, blessings. That common thread is is this, that happiness is an outcome. It's not something that you experience up front, but it's something that comes on the end. Something that happens on the end. It's a process that's called sowing and reaping. Are you guys familiar with that? It's not something that just happens right now, but it's something that happens over a period of time. You sow and reap, and we sow and we reap our way into happiness, just like some of us have sowed and reaped our way into unhappiness. Are you with me? It's like planting a a bean in the garden. How many of us plant a seed? And Leanne, the first thing that we want to do, man, our exci- and in our excitedness, I mean, we'll, we'll till the soil and we'll do everything that's needed and we'll plant that seed and we stand over that seed until there's a fruit on the end of it. 
It's a long time for it's produced, right? But how many of us expect when we plant a seed that right then and there we want to be able to bear? Man, listen, I want, the, I want to be able to experience the, the, the blessing. And so we plant that seed and we stand there going, yep, in the next 30 minutes I'm fixing to have myself some green beans for supper. <laughs> Doesn't happen that way, especially when the crows come in and they pull them all up. That's what happened to my beans this year. But you sow it and reap, and there's something that happens over here. And if you do it right, over the long haul, if you do everything that's needed, over here you're going to reap something. But how many of us has tried a little bit of Jesus, and because you didn't get an immediate result, all of a sudden you quit, and you give up, and you walked away. You sow and you reap. Happiness is an outcome. And when we plant with an attitude that we don't need God and we make decisions that are consistent with saying, I don't need God and I think that I'm in control, guess what's going to happen down the line? We're going to reap those consequences. But what happens when we say, I need God and I'm, man, listen, I'm desperate for you and I thirst for righteousness and God, I want to be pure in my life and I want to be merciful to others. Guess what happens as we walk down the life? We will experience the happiness of the seeds that we have planted. But it takes time, and it takes effort, and it takes humility. You know, and the good news, man, listen, if you've been about planting seeds of jealousy and greed and pride and bitterness, you have the ability right now to turn around today and to turn life and to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore, but I'm going to, in my life, I'm going to, I'm going to sow seeds of humility and selflessness and generosity and peace. not going to do the other anymore but Jesus I believe what you had to say and I want to sow my life towards that direction because I want to experience happiness the happiness that you've talked about that's what I want to experience the poor in spirit the hunger and the thirst for righteousness that I can make wise choices and go against the flow of that's what's around me and yeah it's going to cost you something it may cost you some friends, and it may cost you some business deals, and it may cost you. But in the long run, Jesus said, listen, if you'll listen to me, happiness is. Happiness is the person that listens to these words that I'm speaking to you. And it must have been really important because at the end of that sermon, this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. And I'll read it for you in verse 24. At the end of the whole sermon, he says, anybody who listens to my teaching and follows is like a wise person, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rains come and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey, it's foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. The man who built his house on the rock was thankful. The man who built his house on the sand was what? Regretful. He was sad. He was sad. And if you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, what is happiness? Jesus would say, everything that I just told you. Everything I just told you. But it all begins with the foundation, the rock or the sand. That which is eternal, that which is temporary. And how long does it take to build a house? Does it happen overnight? I guess on TV it does. 
But how long does it take to make a house, build a house? It takes a long time. It takes a long time. And so the question is today, and you read these passages of Scripture, are you going to accept what Jesus had to say? Are you going to reject it? What foundation are you building upon? But what did it say in the Old Testament? But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. We talk about our kids. When we talk about heritage of faith, I would pray that in the days ahead that heritage would be known, not because of the numbers of people that would have come or the buildings that we occupied, but I would pray that our heritage would be our children and that we're raising up a next generation of faith believers who love Jesus, not just come to church. So what part do you play in that process? As we close up today, my challenge is this. Go back and read it and ask yourself, just how happy are you? And if there's something in here that you're not doing that needs to be done, ask the Lord for grace and strength to be able to do it.